This is your host, Donna Barr, and welcome to A Bazillion Ghost Stories. I'm calling this episode Ghost Food because there are some foods and tales up here in the Pacific Northwest woods that I think were pointed out to children so that they wouldn't eat them. One of the references to spiritual food is in a Haida myth describing a feast for supernatural beings that included highbush cranberries, wild crab apples, salal berry cakes, lupine root cakes, and false lily of the valley berries with grease, which sounds like it's more about things people like to eat and so that's the kind of thing supernatural beings would like. So you might not want to pick them all or maybe eat them all because some of these things are hard to digest. One of the ghost foods we actually use would be the snowberry. Now the snowberry is toxic, but if you take one when your stomach is very upset and you take a nice white strawberry, excuse me, snowberry, they are bitter. And that bitterness will settle your stomach. They're excellent. You don't take them very often. You just have, take them when you have a upset stomach. But I always, and I don't know where I got this, I always ask the ghost for permission to have some of their food. And I think this might have come from the same tradition that has me using a word of the Sh Chinook jargon, which, by the way, is not dead. It's still extant. Um, which was a trade language, and it's the word skookum, which means chief, strong, powerful, or poisonous. So I think the story about the ghost berries, the snow berries, being something you have to get permission from the ghosts to eat, comes from the native tradition of telling the kids that if you go out in the woods or if you go to a bad river or a bad mud flat, uh, there's something out there that's going to eat you. So I think a lot of these stories were originally just so that kids wouldn't get dead just going out in their environment. This isn't necessarily a ghost story, but it's a story about how a cop almost became a ghost or could have become a ghost if my dad hadn't used an old trucker story, which sometimes I wonder if this is true or not, but he says that he was going into a town and as he came around a curve with this big rig he's driving, the long haul driver, uh, he spotted a cop in his rearview mirror. This guy was really tailgating. Well, first of all, my dad told me time and again, do not tailgate anything, including the big trucks. For one thing, they can't see you. They don't know you're back there. And they really can hit their brakes pretty fast, especially if they're going downhill. So dad's coming into this town, according to the story, and he sees a little dog by the side of the road. So he figures, okay, this guy is not going to tailgate anymore. So he slams on the brakes. And the cop plows into the back of the truck, which, because it was going slower, isn't going to hurt him so badly. He gets out of the truck, or his car, and he's pretty damn mad, runs around in the front, and he says, what the hell is the matter with you hitting the brakes so hard? Didn't you see back there? And my dad says, no, I didn't see anybody behind my truck. You know, I got no way to see anybody back there. Well, why did you hit those brakes so hard? See that little dog right there? Well, he just ran in front of me, and you know, 
I know it's dangerous, but you're going to hit the brakes anyway because it's a little dog and you don't want to hit it. So I guess the department uh, told that cop not to wreck one of their cars by tailgating a big truck so much. So again, I think maybe this might be one of the joke stories that the truckers tell between each other. But then again, both Dan and I have lived through some stuff that is urban legends, but it really happens. So it could be that Dad... uh Kept a cop from getting killed because he taught him not to tailgate big rigs. I don't know if this next story is ghost food or not, but it's things I used to do with my dad. And since he's a ghost now, I guess that fits in too. Uh, when I was a kid, he would put me in the car and drive all over the place. I guess he had people to talk to, uh, people to see, but we'd stop for lunch someplace. And we'd sample pies. We did that a lot. And one of the things that we did was we ended up at the restaurant that later on became the restaurant in Northern Exposure. So they had pretty good pies. And then we'd stop and have a Chinese dinner someplace. And at one point, I remember we were at one of these real greasy spoon Chinese places. You know, the places that really did cater to the old lager and trucker taste. A lot of deep fried stuff. And I, of course, could not finish my plate. But then my dad said that uh, he... uh He'd take that. So he took the plate and then he's in the middle of eating this and he looks up at me and he said, people are going to say, look at that greedy girl, ate all that food and the old man is still trying to eat, eat his. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. And of course, in the course of doing these, he also introduced me to the Reuben sandwich, which uh, even though I try not to buy anything meat these days, I do remember it fondly. So that's kind of like, since dad's gone, that's technically ghost food. If you really do want a good Reuben sandwich on a beautiful rye. There's a restaurant to the west of Port Angeles called the Fairmount. It's right next to the Fairmount Motel. And they do a wonderful Reuben. And my dad, because he was up here on the west end of the Olympic Peninsula helping to pave the roads, driving the trucks, um, I bet he ate there. And I'll bet he had a Reuben sandwich and a piece of pie. Dad and I must have ended up eating a lot of food because I remember on one of these trips, we ended up at some kind of summer camp and it was closed. It was autumn. And there was one young man who was taking care of the buildings. And my dad had to go talk to some guys. So this young man uh, became like my babysitter. And he said, are you hungry? I said, yes, I am. I could use something to eat. Because as a kid, you're always hungry. It's like being in the army. You never turn down a free meal. So he took me and introduced me to something I've always loved, but I thought was very weird at the time. And that was peanut butter on celery. So that's another introduction to food from a long time ago. Got another dad's story. I used to go with my family up to the Snohomish River and when you're a kid, you don't notice the icy water. It was very icy, very clear. And I had spent many hours uh, holding my breath, floating around on that river, just seeing what it looked like under there. Uh, I even dived down at one point, and a big trout and I came face to face and scared the devil out of each other. And the fish went backwards, and I went to the surface. But at one point, I am floating down the river, enjoying myself, just in this icy cold river that I could never stand now. And look at just basically scuba diving without any equipment, snorkeling just with my mouth. 
and all of a sudden there's a big splash beside me and my uh, sister's boyfriend jumps in the water to try to rescue me. In fact, everybody's splashing around scared to death and I'm standing up in the river going, what is going on? Well, my dad is up on a blanket up on the beach and my mom says, aren't you going to go help? And, and she could have been drowning because I was like, I'm not drowning. I'm looking at the fish. And my dad says, she's born to hang. Ain't no way she's going to drown. Well, while we're on family, here's another gory situation with my family. I don't know if you guys remember the little metal pop guns we had. Cap guns. We'd have those little fireworks kind of things would snap off in them. And kids will do stupid things with cap guns. And... My brother and one of my sisters, we were out underneath the big dogwood tree in the front yard. And my brother decided to throw the cap gun up and down. And these things were kind of heavy. And it went up and up and up. And we were laughing our stupid butts off. And my mom just ignored us unless we were actually bleeding. Well, in this case, my brother threw the thing up in the air. And it came right down on top of some capillary or something. And the next thing you know, he's got a blood fountain coming up out of the top of his head. We're screaming, me and my sister. My brother is going, what's wrong? What's wrong? Because I think it was kind of numbed him. And then he sees this rain of blood in front of him. And my mother looks out the picture window to see three kids screaming their way to the front steps with my brother bleeding a blood fountain out of his head. And she meets us at the front door, throws a towel at him and says, put that on top of your head before you come in the house. Uh, kids bled a lot in our house. I remember the neighbor kid once hurt herself. She's again, bleeding from her head or whatever. And of course she does not run to her parents' house. Nothing ever runs to their parents' house. They come to my mom's yard. If people are missing sheep or horses, they call my mom and the sheep and the horses are in the front yard. I don't know why. They just always went there. So these, here's all these kids screaming up to the house again. And again, mom stops throws him a towel and says, put that on and I'll get something to bind it up with. We had kid blood more than once in our yard. Uh, we are on a very sharp curve. Or we Actually, the house is still there, believe it or not. Spooky little weird yellow thing. It looks haunted in this nice neighborhood. But we, on the sharp corner, it meant that idiot teenagers in cars would come screaming around that corner midway between Everett and Muckleteal and end up flying into our yard. And I remember more than once we had bleeding teenagers all over the front yard and mom calling the doctor and getting everybody taken care of. So that wasn't unusual. This is why we were not allowed to play right up front. And I'll tell you something, I came this close to getting killed by something by playing too close to the front. Because one time I was playing under the mountain ash tree and I got up, you know, as a little little kid, almost a baby, got up, toddled away and a great big truck came around that corner and ice, a big chunk of ice flew right in where I had been sitting. I would have been squashed. We're talking about losing your load. And that wasn't the only idiot thing I did as a little bitty child. I do remember being up right next to the railroad tracks down by the beach when a train came whipping around the corner. We had this thing with corners, I swear. So it comes around this curve really fast. And I remember hanging on to the ties because if I hadn't, I'd have been sucked into that thing. And I swear to God, uh, I ain't going to die till a train gets me. And I kind of know that. 
Certain inanimate objects were so likely to kill us that years later, when I was at an art gallery in Bremerton, a person who had known my sister was talking to me about the knotted rope. And the knotted rope was a long, heavy rope that we always rode out on, swung out on, over a gully, risking quicksand and nettles. And the thing about that rope is almost every time that knot was huge and heavy and had been wetted and shrunk and everything else by the weather, and it would come back and hit us in the head. So there's another explanation why kids in my neighborhood weren't quite all there. Which brings me to a story that my friend Roberta Gregory thinks is funnier than hell. It's called Bottle of Bees, and this is what happened. My brother had taken to capturing bees in a bottle. And he put a handful of clover in there and holes in the top because, you know, that was kind to the bees. So his record was he got 17 bees in a bottle. And he runs up on the front porch and he is so excited about it that he manages to slip and fall and he lands on the bottle. The bees just take off. They're not hanging around to sting anybody. And he cuts his wrist, and I mean, he slits that thing open so bad that it, if it had gone the other way, it would have been a suicide by accident. And he, to this day, they had to rewire all his veins to put him back to where they belonged. So he goes bleeding and screaming up to the house. My mom is painting, and she's in her most raggedy old clothes, and... The only thing she's got on fancy is that blood-red vampire lipstick they used to wear back in the 50s. So she grabs my brother, she wraps him all up in the arm, and then, because she doesn't drive, and Dad's got the car someplace else, working or something, I don't know what he's doing, but she drags the kid up to the front because she knows that the ferry traffic is coming, including the bus. She puts him on the bus, and she says, we're going to the hospital, and the bus driver says, what? She says, now, we're going to the hospital. My mom turns the bus into an ambulance, gets my idiot brother to the hospital where they sew him all up again. And the only thing that he was really upset about was mom looked so crappy in her painting clothes. There's an addition to this. One of my friends said that down south, they played a version of this, only they called it shoebox full of bees. I got some odd little theories. Uh, one of them is about the Wild Hunt, which is an English tale about when you hear a storm, you can hear the baying of hounds, and the Wild Hunt is probably Wotan and all his hounds. But there is a kind of swan that's really New World, and they wouldn't have heard it very often. And when it flies... It sounds like the distant bane of hounds. And you know how guessing at science goes. It's how we start religions. So they heard the bane of the hounds up in the sky. So they figured that must belong to the gods. And they're all coming to get us. When it comes to nature up here in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have a lot of poisonous things. Our snakes are not poisonous. There's no poisonous frogs, anything like that. But we got some nasty plants. One of them is the nettle. Now, the nettle can be rough if you hit it fresh, and especially if you're a kid, 
Uh, if you pick this thing carefully with gloves or with plastic and you get it into a pot and you pour boiling water off it over it, it's fine. You can make a beautiful tea out of it. it tastes kind of buttery, kind of beefy. It's delicious. Uh, if you're out camping, you take a box of that cheap uh, macaroni and cheese. You put nettles in it. It's gorgeous. Uh, nettles are wonderful. You can freeze them, use them for, um, you know, put them in spaghetti sauce, everything. They're delicious. Uh, they are full of iron, vitamin C, things like that. And you've got to be very careful just to pick the tender tops before they go to seed because they will fill up with oxalic acid when they get older. But a couple of the things you don't want to mess with is the Indian hellebore, as it's called. And that thing will even kill the plants that are, that are around it. It's kind of like cedar that way. It protects itself that way. And the final thing we have, and why you just don't want to go out and be eating biscuit root or any else of the, the carrot family out here, is one of the things uh, that grows in the swamps and looks like a lot of other things, is what they call hemlock. And it's not the tree. It is a plant that is a member of the carrot family. It's got lovely white flowers. It's got very fluffy little foliage. If you know what a biscuit root looks like, it's huge for one thing. Uh, you, you're not going to have such a problem, but stay away if you don't know. Because if you eat a piece of a hemlock root the size, half the size of your little pinky, it'll kill you. Another thing about berries up here is uh, you don't want to eat just any old berry. We have something up here called a baneberry. It's bright red. It's hard. You don't want to eat that thing. Just a few of them will kill you. Uh, you have to kind of learn your berries. You got to learn your huckleberries, your various berries, which may be bitter or poisonous or whatever. Once you know, you're fine, but it's like mushrooms. You have to know what you're doing because you cannot just go out, start and picking berries. If they have multiple droops, like a blackberry, all those little sections or strawberry or something like that, you can eat those. But if they're just a berry, you better know what you're eating because up here, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble just eating a berry. Here's kind of an autumn story. It would really be a Halloween story, but it is about a creature I met in San Francisco. Years ago, I went down for whatever job it was I was doing in San Francisco. I think I was accompanying my friend Mouser, who's a tarot reader, to some kind of uh, spooky festival that he was going to. And as we were walking down a certain part of town, up toward the Castro District, I think, I saw in the window a mummified cat. I don't know where they got the mummy cat, but there it was. And this thing kind of sat in my memory for a long time, until a couple of years ago, when I went down with my friend Roberta Gregory to get interviewed for a show. And just a couple of steps up, a couple of uh, doorways up from where I was staying, since it was right around Halloween, in the window, there was Mummy Cat. And this time, he had a little mummy mouse with him. Since we're talking about San Francisco, I should mention the three Halloweens. The first Halloween I went down to San Francisco, the Halloween at the Castro District was a joy. It was a blast. People were having a great time. They were getting their lives, and they just had so many great costumes. The next time I went down was after AIDS had hit, and it was a funeral, and we 
mourned so many. And then finally, when I went down again, and there's years between each of these situations, I went down again, and everybody was again celebrating because their attitude was a momento mori. We are going to die. We refuse to give up. And so much has been done now for people with HIV and AIDS that uh, the bad old days will, of course, never be forgotten. But people are celebrating much more seriously now because they remember when it was bad and they will not be ground down by it. Before you leave, if you want to get this podcast a few days early, join me at patreon.com slash Donna Barr. And if you want to find more about what's going on in my world, just look for DonnaBar.com, where I've got links to everything. Bye. A spooky...